0: Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 36, our review of the July 7 Intercept Pharmaceuticals press release announcing the newly compiled data for obedicolic acid, or OCA, in the treatment of Nash fibrosis. This update includes a reanalysis of efficacy data and a much larger patient pool for analysis of safety data, including almost 1,000 patients who have been taking OCA for four years. It also announces Intercept's intention to file a revised new drug application later this year. This conversation looks at the safety analysis and the updated Regenerate data. While the 2020 complete response letter has never been released in public, most observers have believed it was the risk side of the risk-benefit analysis that led to OCA not being approved the first time. Stephen starts this conversation by noting how many more patients are included in this safety analysis versus the original, and that this analysis includes close to 1,000 patients who've been evaluated for four years on drug. He also notes that paritis is clearly the most common safety tolerability issue, with 55% in the 25 milligram cohort versus 22 in the placebo and 33 in the a 10 milligram cohort for which there was no significant efficacy benefit. The rest of the conversation focuses on related safety questions, the value of having a larger, more robust data set, and, more important, the idea that the elevations found at the outset of treatment in the 2019 paper tend to resolve within one year. As Stephen notes, there are other questions the press release leaves unanswered, some of which he lists. For the most part, though, the panel believes this safety story is far stronger than the one from the original analysis. With this new press release comes the realistic possibility that the fatty liver community might find ourselves with not one, but two approved medicines by the end of 2023. This would be a remarkable step forward that would create market interest, drive funding for drug development and provider education, and generally create a new, much brighter environment for NAFLD diagnosis, treatment, and management. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group.
1: Stephen Harrison. On July the 7th, 2022, Intercept pressed that they announced positive data in fibrosis due to NASH from a new analysis of its phase three regenerate study of a beta acid. And there were four top-line bullet points that Intercept wanted to make. And I'm just going to read them and then we'll talk about specifically some of the data. Number one, the 25 milligram dose of beta-colic acid met the agreed primary endpoint of improvement in liver fibrosis without worsening of NASH at 18 months. And the p-value was highly significant. It was less than 0.0001. For those of you that aren't counting, that's three zeros and a one. And that was consistent with the original regenerate analysis. Point two, the 25 milligram dose of beta acid demonstrated double the response rate in reduction of liver fibrosis without worsening of NASH versus placebo. Number three, this data set includes larger and more robust safety database of 2,477 patients with nearly 1,000 on study drug for four years. Number four, intercept to resubmit a new drug application, so they're going to refile an NDA in liver fibrosis due to NASH. A pre-submission meeting with the FDA is scheduled later this month. So there you have it. That's their main bullet points. Now, just to dive into this a little bit, and then I want to maybe we'll um, we'll take this section by section. Safety was evaluated in in almost 2,500 subjects who took at least one dose of study drug. So placebo. Oka 10, Oka 25. Compared to the original analysis, the safety population in this new interim analysis had significantly longer exposure to study drug, median 42 months versus 15 months previously, yielding more than 8,000 total patient years and 3.4 times more exposure. Nearly 1,000 subjects have been on study drug for four years. Now, so that's your kind of foundation. This is how much data has been collected. So what is the data? Treatment emergent adverse events, treatment emergent serious adverse events, and death were generally balanced across the OCA and placebo treatment groups. The most common treatment emergent adverse event, as expected, that was my editorial, was pruritus. 24% in placebo, 33% in OCA-10, and 55% in OCA-25. And pruritus was the most common cause for treatment discontinuation. Serious gallbladder-related events occurred in less than 3% of subjects in any treatment group and, consistent with its known mechanism, Mechanism of action, OCA 25 had higher rates of biliary events, including gallstones. Let me stop there because there is another section that talks about independent groups of experts reviewed safety. But before we get there. Maybe just some comments on what you heard as far as the volume of safety data and what we know relative to pruritus, discontinuations, and gallbladder-related events. Jaren Schottenberg.
2: So I think also the safety data is somewhat recapitulated. But of course, the reassuring aspect here is you have much broader database. You have many more patients. There's nothing new coming up. Um, there is no unexpected long-term detrimental effect from giving an FXR agonist in these patients. And the paritis is, the numbers are, I think they went up a little bit by one or 2% compared to the original paper. Uh, So fairly comparable. The gallstone event rate, that was also known. It's just, for me, the robustness of the data has increased significantly. And considering the risk-benefit ratio that was always addressed as one potential reason for a complete response letter, I think um, here the data has just been improved by a lot.
3: Louise Campbell. I think it's reassuring with the increased amount of data and the volume. Given that PBC, I think the dose is five milligrams and then you increase to 10 and the maximum dose is 10, to actually see it get to 25 milligrams and not cause overly concerning side effects and larger numbers is greatly reassuring in its previous setting and its uh, approved mechanism so far. That helps from my perspective. If I'm engaging with a patient on this medication, then I I think we should be already planning pathways into delivery of this because just putting a patient on this type of medication with 55, 52 percent puritis is not going to be something you can just dish out in a medical practice and hope that they're going to stay on your medication. We have seen it be the biggest cause of withdrawals. Roger, your test amount of how puritis can really cause problems and we know it causes problems. So irrespective of the gallbladder and the gallstone, but do we have to add those as costs to this medication? This is not a cheap medication, even on its current uh, approvals. So that's where it causes me slight concern, but the reassurance of the data is certainly, I think most patients will be really pleased to be able to be offered something that now has robust data on its um, safety and efficacy.
1: I was just going to foot stomp what Jorn had said and then maybe add some color to Louise's comments. So first of all, nothing surprising in what we've talked about so far. You know, again, consistent with mechanism of action, consistent with previous data. And there's maybe Jorn always has great insight, but one of the more important insights he made relative to this is that nothing new. So let that sink in. You know, thousand subjects studied for four years, nothing new popping up. That, I think, is critically
0: important. Can, can I run with nothing new for a minute? Yeah. If I recall, and I was just getting involved with this disease when all this happened the first time, so I'm not going to claim my recollection is perfect, but the, the bigger safety concern was whether the change in lipid profiles was going to mean anything at the end of the day. And we've now got patients out three times as long as they were then, and nothing has changed, and if anything, the lipid issues seem to have somewhat resolved with longer periods of therapy. So nothing new takes on, if you will, new and exciting meaning, just to use the word new two different ways in the same sentence, when you keep in mind that the concern was what would happen in a longer course of therapy, and that didn't happen. Well, for sure. Um, Now,
1: I think we need to see more data necessarily. I mean, this is a press release. There's only so much you can put in it. There is the paragraph in here that says, Independent groups of experts reviewed certain categories of safety events to provide a blinded adjudication as specifically requested by the FDA. Their focus was on hepatic safety, cardiovascular, and renal. Now, the next sentence is, top-line analysis through four years of treatment showed a numerically higher number of adjudicated hepatic safety events for OCA25. The vast majority were mild in severity. But I think we need more clarity around that. We need to understand what that means exactly. Because remember, the treatment effect delta is 11 to 12 percent. So how many people do we need to treat to have a benefit? And again, this doesn't take into account what I said earlier about preventing progression of disease. But that does come into the equation when we talk about therapeutic index. And so I think it, when we. I see numerically higher number of adjudicated hepatic safety events. The vast majority were mild in severity. Well, read between the lines. The vast majority were mild in severity, but what about the rest? I think we just need to know more information. And then for adjudicated core major adverse cardiac events and adjudicated acute kidney injury events, frequency events was low and balanced. Okay, that's encouraging, very encouraging, because that gets to the LDL comment you made, particularly for the cardiovascular events, and it shows that OCA treatment was a with an increase in LDL month one, which returned to near baseline value by month 12. Now, that's encouraging. Does that mean they got put on statins or PCSK9s or just kind of resolved on its own? I don't know. We probably want to learn more about that. Changes in other blood chemistries, including alkaline phosphatase, gamma-GT, AST, and ALT all showed evidence of FXR-mediated activity supporting the dose response of OCA. So again, that's encouraging. Let me just ask this. Yorn. when you read this, you look it over. I know you're encouraged by the efficacy, the consistency in the efficacy. You're encouraged by the overall totality of the safety data. Do you have any ongoing, lingering questions that you would like to learn more about based on what you read here?
2: There's a lot of things that come to mind, obviously. I think you very nicely detailed how the reading was done. That was my first question when I read that. And when people go to the press release, they will say, well, what's, what was done differently now? And I think you really uh, brought some light into that. Uh, that was my first impression. I was also looking for the LDL, and there is a comment on the LDL. I think you also mentioned that LDL actually returns near to baseline at month 12 in that larger data set and cardiac safety So that was important. I think we've seen some safety warnings with cirrhotic patients in OCA and the PBC indication, and there's nothing coming up here. So that's another thing where, again, we're we're not hearing anything on that safety side. And what else would I be interested to learn, I think, you know, I'd like to learn a little bit more of the other non-invasive tests. Are they congruent in terms of development? What happens to TE? How the transaminase is moving and and how does that pair? I I think we saw most of that, but just to be reminded, I'll probably go back and look in the 2019 paper, how that all uh, looked like. And now back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with a new episode of Surfing Nash Tsunami to drop on Wednesday, July 20th. Please join us. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.